When last we met, we went through chapters 15 and 16, covering the judgment of God on the wicked of the earth, both men and the rulers of this present evil age. And now we've come to chapters on the destruction of Babylon. If we read our first four verses, we find something very interesting. Let's read. Then one of the seven angels holding the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come, I will show you the sentencing of the great prostitute who sits on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who dwell on the earth got drunk with the wine of her immorality. So he carried me away in the ruach into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. She was holding a golden cup in her hand full of detestable things and the filth of her immorality. And what I want you to note first here is that it does not say, come, I will show you what takes place after this. He says, I will show you the sentencing of the great prostitute telling us that this is a further description of the judgment of God on the wicked that we studied in chapter 16. The same judgment of God that we studied when we last met, this is a further explanation. And with that understanding, rather than going through chapter 17 and 18, we are first going to look at Babylon itself and why, and why John, recording this prophecy, uses the term Babylon. Fifteen years or more ago, we had Joe Good come and speak to us for two days. He talked from the futurist perspective about Babylon and who he felt Babylon was at the end of the age. He thought that it was the USA, and he made a very good case for the USA being Babylon. I think if he were to speak again about the USA being Babylon, he would have made an even better case. And we all have to admit, after reading of her sexual immorality and the cup of her sexual immorality, that the USA is looking very much like what is described here. And it's getting worse. It's now being taught to children in schools. School libraries now have pornography on their shelves. However, I think in looking at Babylon, we find something far worse than just the USA. So let's look at ancient Babylon. It is first and foremost an ancient city and empire. It is the site of the ancient city Babel. The Jewish Encyclopedia tells us this. Babylon, an ancient city located on the eastern bank of the Euphrates River, about 20.4 miles south of Baghdad, near the modern village of Hilah. Akkadian scribes derive the name from the word Babylon, gate of God, whereas Genesis 11:9, the name is explained as a derivative of Babel, to confuse. This term to confuse comes from the ancient origins of Babel and the Tower of Babel where they tried to make a tower to heaven and God confused the language of the people. However, the definition to confuse rightly ascribed to not only Babel, and God confusing the language, but Babylon as well, as it has confused many people and deceived many people. Much confusion came out of Babylon. And if we're going to understand this passage, 
We need to understand what Babylon was all about and why after its destruction, John in his vision would still be talking about its future destruction as if it were still the ancient power that it once was. We must understand that Babylon, while it was for John and the Jewish people of the first century, really a code word for the Roman Empire. And this because by using this Babylon, instead of Rome, it kept them from the wrath of Rome. However, what it really is is a code word, not just for Rome, but here in the book of Revelation, Yeshua is using it for the present world order, whatever, and more importantly, whoever that is. So for John, Babylon is the Roman Empire. And just a few centuries after writing this book, Rome, like Babylon in his day, will fall. And so also for us, the Roman Empire of John's day is falling and we're left wondering, what is Babylon that's going to be destroyed in the future? What we have to come to grips with is that while Rome ended, the present world order that was Rome for John did not collapse with the fall of Rome. You see, the rulers of this present evil age, as Paul called them, are the ones who controlled Babylon and Rome. And because they control the present world order, they did not come to an end. They were and are in control of the present world order even today. What the church failed and continues to fail to understand is that the false gods that were worshipped in Babylon and Rome were not just figments of their imagination. They are actually demons who are still in control of the world today, creating confusion, and the confusion is not knowing who's in control because of that, we don't know how to resist. You see, for our present day, for us, Rome is no more. But I'm putting forth to you tonight that the empires change, but the demons behind the empires do not change. It's those demons who control the present world order. Look at Rome for a moment. The Rome of Paul's day persecuted the Messianic communities right up until the day the church was confused and fell under deception. Rome also persecuted the Jewish communities in general. It destroyed the temple. And about 35 years after John wrote this letter, it destroyed Israel and banished the Jewish people and changed its name to Palestinia. If we look at the world order today, we see the same thing, only now we see it in many empires. In China, we have a powerful nation that has all but eradicated the church in their empire. Even in this country, which was founded on the Christian faith, and not just that, but our constitution was written by Christians to protect the church's freedoms. How, if we look at our country today, it has changed. The persecution of the church is just beginning. The rulers of this world have twisted the meaning of separation in church and state. It was put in our constitution to protect the church from the state, but it has been twisted to prevent the church from having little to do with the direction of the country. And they remove all vestiges of the Bible and prayer from any government buildings. They are protecting their rule from the church. If we look at the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, the nations surrounding it seek to wipe it out, wipe our Jewish people off the land that God gave them. Again, like Rome, they seek to change the name to Palestine. 
We're seeing the same thing in our country. And yes, even in our state, we have elected an anti-Semite to Congress who seeks to destroy Israel, and she has gained support of many others. And so what I want you to see is that Babylon and Rome are alive and well, still affecting the nations. And if we look at Rome of Paul's day, it was controlled by the rich. And the grandeur and the power of Rome was great. But in reality, the people of Rome, for the most part, were very poor. And only a few were rich. And yet the poor were hypnotized by the grandeur of Rome. They didn't see themselves as poor, but great, because Rome and the Roman Empire was great. And we see the same thing in the United States. The bulk of this country are poor and getting poorer. And yet we are hypnotized by the greatness of the USA. China and every modern Babylon are the same. China, the people are poor but are hypnotized by the greatness of China. You see, Rome ended, but the essence of Rome and Babylon did not. And that is because the same demons who were called gods in chapters 2 and 3 did not end. They still influence the world, not as gods, but they are demons in control nonetheless. Some of the other things said of Babylon by John. She's a prostitute telling us that she led the nations into adultery, meaning away from the true God. Look at this country in the last few years. The country has been led away from God. They did polls outside of colleges recently. And most of those interviewed didn't even know what the Holocaust was. They didn't know what Christmas celebrated. And some didn't even know a thing about Jesus. Finally, it tells us that she is on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. Meaning, this prostitute has many names. We have looked at many of them through the centuries. Asherah, Ishtar, Diana. We also can speak of Zeus and the other gods as well. Finally, it says she is clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. This city or nation is wealthy. We are speaking of wealth and power. Everything about her screams wealth. Purple and scarlet speaks of her wealth. Purple dye was expensive. Her gold and precious stones and pearls further speak of her wealth. Remember, we spoke of Domitian, one of the rulers in John's day. Craig Keener says this, a bronze coin from the rule of Domitian's father included the goddess Roma, who personified Rome's power. Sitting on seven hills, official state worship not only included the worship of the emperor, but also the worship of the goddess Roma. The nations or the whole world are under the rule of the evil one, or at least are like the USA coming under the rule while the church sleeps. One thing is for sure we need to understand that babylon is a term for the enemy of god and they just did not pull that name out of a hat there's a reason for that name remember when we looked at the churches in chapter two and three i said that the pagan gods owe their origins to babylon they came out of babylon their names changed in different cultures but the behaviors that occurred in their worship has not changed. 
There was a man named Reverend Hislop who wrote a book called Two Babylons, The Mystery Religion. And he studied paganism and found its origins went back to Babel and Babylon. And I'll be the first to admit that he got a little carried away at times in the book. But the basic premise of the book was correct. Those pagan gods were actually demons and persisted in the Greek and Roman empires and influenced the nations today. And what he documents in his book is that all the pagan gods, for the most part, have their origin in the gods of Babel and Babylon. We looked at an example of that weeks ago with the Romans. We, we talked about how they had a goddess and a festival called Ishtar. And in English, that's Easter. Our Easter came out of the worship of the goddess of Ishtar. Well, Babylon had a gate called the Ishtar Gate, and they had a goddess named Ishtar. And so we see this goddess survived even with the same name, and her worship is alive today. Now that is the obvious, but the book focuses on similarities of the worship of these gods, the subtleties of the worship and practices. And what we find is that the worship is the same and the gods were basically the same no matter what culture. Only the names were changed. Then he documents the same practices in Christianity. And he set out to prove and does a good job in showing that we are still doing what the pagans did in their worship. Only the name of the god was changed. And we can see this in the evangelism of the church. What the church would do is go out and evangelize the culture. They would keep the worship of the pagan gods and really the gods as well. They just changed the name of the god to Jesus. And that's why when you go into different parts of the world, Yeshua is worshipped differently. The images of Jesus are changed from culture to culture. They call it cultural differences, but what it is, is they kept the worship of the pagan god, only changing the name of that god to Jesus. We have seen a few of these things. Christmas is not the day Yeshua was born. It was the day they celebrated the birth of the Roman god Mithra. It was also the time of the winter solstice and the birth of the sun S-U-N. And when you look at Christmas customs and where they came from, you are appalled because the gospel went out into the world and they incorporated pagan customs into this day as well. Hence, we have Yule logs, mistletoe, Christmas trees, Santa Claus, and so forth. And so understand that just as the gods of Babel and Babylon are alive and well in the world today, you can see some semblance of them in every culture. And for me, that means Babylon is a cold word for evil. The immorality, the greed, the persecution of the Messianic communities, and yes, even those who believe themselves to be masters of their own destiny, or in effect like Pharaoh and the Caesars who think of themselves as gods. Remember our pictures of Jesus. Here it is again, and notice that most of these are images that are made in the likeness of the nations. Korean, Haitian, Chinese, 
We even have a Native American god that looks as if it came right off of a totem pole. It would not be complete without a female Jesus. They even made a female Jesus. And that's because in each culture they made Jesus in their likeness. This is no doubt because they thought so highly of themselves that Jesus had to be like them instead of the Jewish man that he was. Now this mixing of the worship is detestable to God and he warns Israel against this as he brings them out of Egypt. He warns them of this just before they go into the land. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that the Lord hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. You see, not only the worship of other gods is detestable to God, because in worshiping them, you are actually worshiping the dragon, the beast, and a host of demons. You're committing adultery. But even in worshiping God in the same way they worship their gods is detestable to the Holy One. Here's another parallel we spoke of before. The worship of these gods always involved sexual immorality of all types. It always involved drunkenness. And we spoke before of that sexual immorality and that drunkenness always led to unwanted children who were disposed of. In Rome, they would just leave them outside the city and leave them in a field for the wolves and the lions and the bears to take care of them. Today, we just abort them. The worship of other gods infiltrated the church. It did this for centuries. And please don't blame the common people because the word of God was not read to the people. It was not translated for them. And so all they had was the words of their priests who led them astray. If you worshiped in these ways, it was detestable to God because you were worshiping in the way they worshiped the dragon. And so this Babylon led people astray. People thought they were worshiping the Holy One of Israel's Messiah, but they were actually doing it in the ways of the pagans. And most don't even know that because they just accepted these traditions of the priests. And so understand, the third and fourth century church fathers led people astray. It's the same religious system that John confronted in, in each of the cities that the letters were sent to. When people were mixing or participating in the worship of other gods, John rebuked them. There's nothing new under the sun. When he speaks of the, the destruction of Babylon, it's the destruction of this system, this world order. And so understand that Babylon speaks of a religious system that dates back to Babel and has continued to this day. Because the demons that control Babylon are still in the world today. You can see them in their influence on the people. Paul tells us how to recognize the influence of these demons who control the people and the nations. He tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Or don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. The sexually immorals, 
idolaters, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't get much clearer than that. The other problem with identifying Babylon is that so many nations resemble Babylon in some way. If we look to the USA, we could make a very good case for it being the final Babylon. If we look to Jeremiah, it says of Babylon, how the hammer of the whole earth has been cut down and smashed, how Babylon has become a horror among the nations. Rome was the hammer of the earth to the known nations in the time of John. You did not cross Rome and survive. Neither did you cross Babylon in its heyday. However, if we look at our time, the USA has been the hammer of the nations. We fight wars everywhere. You don't cross the USA. If we look at China, it's fast becoming greater than the USA. And so it too could be seen as the upcoming hammer of the nations. Russia at one time could have been seen as the hammer of the nations, controlling all of Eastern Europe. Here's the point where Joe Good went wrong in his teaching that the USA is the final Babylon. It's not one nation. Babylon is the world order. And that's why we see multiple kings and rulers when we read of it. 17 verse 7 says, I tell you a mystery, the woman and the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. And later it says in verse 12, ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. Revelation is going to speak of the destruction of this world order. It said that the kings of the earth committed adultery with her. And last week we read of their destruction at Armageddon, which is really Armageddo. And so here John is seeing Rome and the present world order. He sees a vision of it crumbling because I will tell you this. The book has to be a blessing to John. It's a blessing to all who read it. For John to see that those who persecuted the faith and the people of the faith in the God of Israel, to see them come to an end will be a blessing to him and to the readers as well. However, we see a different Babylon, a modern Babylon. It will resemble Babylon and Rome, but it is speaking not of one nation, but of a world order, the same world order Paul spoke of when he spoke of the rulers of the present evil age. John envisioned Rome. Martin Luther saw the Catholic Church because he could easily see its resemblance to Babylon. It had adopted the religious customs and controlled many of the world's governments. And so Luther saw this as the literal Babylon. Babylon will also be called a commerce center of the world, a religious center, a cultural center. It can appear to be many things because it's all-encompassing and it encompasses every aspect of the people's lives. It can be different if we compare China to the USA, or the USA to Iran, or Iran to Europe. But whether they are focused on self-indulgence, as the USA has become, or suppressing the church, or destroying Israel, it is the same world order that John is describing. The goal of a particular nation may be just one aspect of Babylon. But make no mistake, 
This is a world order bent on the destruction and the replacing of the true worship of God. Now let's go to the Jewish New Testament commentary. For a moment, he gives us an important bit of info. Literal Babylon. Babylon was located on the Euphrates River and was crisscrossed by canals sitting on many waters, alluding to Jeremiah chapter 51, verse 13. You who dwell on many waters, abundant in treasures, your end has come, the measure of your greed. But again, a literal interpretation is Revelation chapter 17, verse 15, which interprets the waters figuratively and Jeremiah's prophecy that Babylon's desolation would be everlasting, along with the fact that Babylon in the first century common era was hardly worthy of the attention Yochanan gives it, since it was neither a center of the gospel activity nor the major world power center it had become. In speaking of the literal Babylon, we see that it's highly unlikely that the angel was referring to literal Babylon because he uses the name Babylon. He's telling us that the Babylon that is being spoken of is like the ancient Babylon. Let's look at another reference to Babylon that speaks of its destructions long after it was destroyed. And this is not scripture, but it was read in the first century. It was written about 150 B.C., the Sibylline Oracles. This is book five. Woe to you, Babylon, of golden throne and golden sandal. For many years you were the sole kingdom ruling over the world. You who were formerly great and universal, you no longer lie on golden mountains and streams of the Euphrates. You will be spread out flat by the turmoil of an earthquake. Terrible Parthians made you shake all over. Restrain your mouth, impious race of Babylon. Neither ask nor take thought how you will be ruled over by the Persians or how you will take sway over the Medes because your dominion which you had, you will send to Rome hostages, even those who were in bondage in Asia. So also, though thinking as a queen, you will become under the judgment of your adversaries on whose account you were sent. You will pay bitter reckoning to your enemies in return for your crooked ways. This was written well after the heyday of Babylon. It had long since vanished. And again, by John's day, it was not the powerful place it once was. It had been conquered, but its religious influence went out to the world. A careful study of Babylon comparing to other cultures shows the influence and power it reached. Rome was like Babylon. It was a cultural center. It was a place of enormous wealth and power. Worshipped the same gods, some with slightly differing names, but they were the same gods. Listen to Stern's commentary again. Rome, the arguments in favor of Babylon as a code word for Rome are weighty. Rome was widely known as the city on seven hills. Babylon was a common euphemism for Rome. In the Pseudepigrapha and in the rabbinic writings, the Midrash Rabbah on the Song of Songs 1.6 states directly, one calls Rome Babylon. Hichel Lichtenstein remarks, Rome is called Babylon since it always 
described the worst kingdom. Because Rome's political power has declined since the book of Revelation was written, making the literal understanding of Rome less relevant, there are Protestants who equate Babylon with Rome and Rome with Roman Catholicism, turning the passage into an anti-Catholic polemic. And so Rome is called Babylon by the rabbis. And why do you suppose? Well, because it has the same characteristics. A civil and religious rule. A place of great wealth. Both Rome and Babylon conquered and oppressed Israel. Both destroyed the temple of God. And on and on. It was also at the time of John the enforcer of the known world. Which is why Jeremiah calls Babylon the hammer of the earth. But the similarities to Babylon did not end with the Roman Empire. Its religious and civil system of government went out into the world, some of it on the back of Catholicism. Let's read Stern's commentary one more time. The wicked world system ruled in the spiritual realm by Satan and ultimately in the physical world by the anti-Messiah. Viewing Babylon allegorically as the evil world system accords with the extensive description of the rule of the anti-Messiah in chapters 12 and 13 and the return of this imagery in the immediate context. So I think we have Babylon as this enduring system of religion and civil authorities that confuse and oppress the worshipers of the Holy One. So these are some of the opinions of Babylon. Let's look at the opening verses in chapter 18. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his glory. He cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a den for demons and a haunt for every unclean spirit and for every unclean bird and for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the fury of her immorality. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich off the power of her self-indulgence. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you participate in her sin and receive her plagues. We get a shadow of this world order in the fourth century. And this is how the world order gained control over the early followers of the Messiah and extinguished those who they could not control. It's where the church became so anti-Semitic. And it all happens in the 4th century with Emperor Constantine of Rome. He wanted to unite the pagan factions and the Christian factions of his empire. And he adopted Christianity as the state religion. And this is where we see the harlot climb on the back of the beast. This will be another unmistakable shadow of the false messiah. And I will show you that in a moment. He adopts Christianity. And so the world has thought and many still think of him as a Christian and a great man. But let's see how great he actually was. He will have a meeting with the bishops of the church. There is some confusion over whether the eastern bishops were not invited because they were Torah observant and kept the festivals of God like Passover and the Sabbath or whether they just choose, chose not to attend. But either way, it was only the bishops of the West like Rome and Europe 
who were in attendance. Constantine passes an edict, making it a crime for the church to keep the Passover any longer, and made Sunday the day of worship for the church. These edicts were under the threat of death, and with that edict, Jewish things were forbidden in the church. They were now heresy, because after all, they were the Christ killers. Let me read you an excerpt from the writings of Eusebius about this meeting. Not one of the bishops was absent from the imperial banquet, which was more admirably conducted than can possibly be described. The guards and the soldiers, disposed in a circle, were stationed at the entrance of the palace with swords drawn. The men of God passed through the midst of them without fear and went into the most private apartments of the royal edifice. Some of them were admitted to the table of the emperor. Others took their places assigned to them on either side. It was a lively image of the kingdom of Christ and appeared more like a dream than reality. The swords of the soldiers were drawn to let everyone know that if you didn't agree, you were going to suffer the consequence. Now Constantine, the ruler of Rome, has a title. He is the Pontus Maximus. You see, Peter wasn't the first pope of this church. It was Constantine who was the first pope. Let me read you from the Encyclopedia Britannica. The title Supreme Priest, Pontifex Maximus, which had been the prerogative of the emperor, now devolved upon the pope. And so he's not only the ruler of Rome, but also the church. You see, nothing really changed, except now the government was also in control of the church. Or as it will later be, the church is in control of the government. Now, unless you have any doubts about this guy being a picture of the false messiah, let me wipe them away. He does something at the end of his life that really tells a tale. And again, this is from the writings of Eusebius. It begins this way. All these edifices of the emperor consecrated with the desire of perpetuating the memory of the apostles of our Savior before all men. He had, however, another object in erecting this building, the building being the Church of the Apostles at Constantinople, an object at first unknown, but which afterwards became evident to all. He had, in fact, made a choice of this spot in prospect of his own death, anticipating with extraordinary fervor of faith that his body would share their title with the apostles themselves, and that he should thus, even after his death, become subject with them of the devotions of which should be performed to their honor in this place. And for this reason, he bade men assemble for worship there at the altar, which he placed in the midst. He accordingly caused... Twelve coffins to be set up in this church, like sacred pillars in honor and memory of the apostolic band, in the center of which his own was placed, having six of theirs on either side of it. Thus, as I said, he had provided with prudent foresight an honorable resting place for his body after death, and having long before secretly formed 
this resolution, he now consecrated this church to the apostles, believing that his tribute to their memory would be of no small advantage to his own soul. And so we can see that Constantine, this man who some still think as a pillar of the faith, it would seem in truth that he desired to replace the Messiah in the minds of men, placing himself at the center of the apostles, not to be as one of the apostles as Eusebius states, but to figure himself as the Messiah. This is exactly what the false Messiah wanted to do. And so as you can see, Constantine was really not much of a Christian. So we have to understand that Babylon is a religious system that rides on the back of the state government and really does the bidding of the government and the government its bidding. And sadly, this country is fast becoming the enforcer for everything that is abominable to the Holy One. If we look at what is written of Babylon and compare it to the USA, it really is quite astonishing, right down to being the hammer of the earth, as Jeremiah said. The USA is the one who's always at war, enforcing its will on the other nations. In recent years, it's the center of open sexual immorality, greed, drunkenness, drug addiction, among all the other things we saw in Babylon and Rome. You can't even speak against these things without being called a bigot or worse. Even with that, though, don't be confused because we can find Babylon in China, Iran, Syria, Russia, because it's not just one nation. It's the world order under the rulers of the present evil age. Now, Constantine did something else at that meeting. He declared it a crime for the church to keep any Jewish festival, which in reality are the festivals of Adonai. There would be no seventh-day Sabbath, no Passover, and to do so would put you under an edict of death. If we back up to chapter 17, it says, And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of those who bore the testimony to Yeshua. Why do I bring this up? Well, the Eastern congregations, as we studied in chapters 2 and 3, for all their faults, were Torah observant. And with many Jewish people within the congregations, history records the existence of these Jewish congregations. They called them the Nazarenes. And they existed right up until the 4th century, at the time of Constantine and this edict. Then these Torah-observant congregations vanished from history. Could it be they fell to the sword of Constantine? I think it's something that we should think about. Because here we learn she will have been the killer of the saints. And we saw this in the case of Constantine, his men with swords drawn, the church and its doctrines became a weapon in the hands of the priests and the rulers. And the true believers who kept the commands, the festivals, the true understanding of the Holy One became targets of these persecutions. And not just the Jewish followers of Messiah, but our Jewish people in general now became the target of the church. And this anti-Semitism is still alive and well in some of what is called the church even today. But thank God that through the printing press and the translations of the scriptures, the true church is starting to wake up and we are again seeing messianic communities as well. And I'm going to leave off here 
I think if you read the rest of chapter 17 and 18 with the commentary I gave, you can piece it together. Just compare the happenings in these chapters with chapters 15 and 16. Next week, we're going to look at the kingdom of God and the messianic kingdom. We're going to look at its beginnings. I'm shortening this up a little bit because through the summer, I want to look at the festivals of Adonai. And as we do, the festivals will shed more light on some of these later chapters of Revelation as well.